What's up, guys? Welcome to the Humans of MarTech podcast. His name is John Taylor. My name is Phil Gamash. Our mission is to future-proof the humans behind the tech so you can have a successful and happy career in marketing. What's up, everyone? Today, we have the distinct honor of being joined by the MarTech landscape creator, the author of Hacking Marketing, the godfather of MarTech himself, Mr. Scott Brinker. Throughout his career, Scott's navigated seamlessly between the realms of marketing and technology. He put his first entrepreneurial mark in the MarTech world when he co-founded Ion Interactive, a MarTech SaaS providing interactive content tools for marketers. In 2018, he began sharing industry insights on the chief marketing technologist blogs with the hope of serving as a resource to help spread the marketing technology meme. A few years later, he released the first ever version of the MarTech landscape maps. Back when there was only about 150 MarTech vendors, he launched the esteemed MarTech conference in 2014 and remains its program chair to this day. And today he's VP of platform ecosystem at HubSpot, where he enhances their synergy with the broader MarTech landscape, a landscape that maps over 11,000 vendors today. He continues to be the acclaimed for behind chiefmartech.com, hailed universally as the MarTech world's ultimate wellspring of knowledge and insights. Scott, it's truly an honor to have you on the show. Thanks so much for your time. Wow. Well, thank you for that very generous <laughs> introduction, Bill. <laughs> I'm just a MarTech nerd. I just love this stuff. <laughs> it's funny. GT and I were talking about this three years ago when we started the podcast. We joked that the day we get Scott Brinker on the podcast is the day that we've made it. So GT, we've made it. <laughs> yeah, we've made it. And for us, I think it's just the opportunity to to interview you, Scott, and pick your brain selfishly some questions that we we get some time with you. So So thanks so much for joining us today. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We uh we've been pretty deep on the AI uh, topics on on the podcast as most marketing uh writers and and blogs and podcasts have been recently. Uh we did kind of a four-part series covering a few AI topics starting with how fast could AI change or replace marketing jobs. It feels like that's one of the first questions that many marketers think of when when they think of AI. I I'm curious your thoughts on what you think are the challenges that AI has to replace everything a marketer does today? Yeah, I think I'm still in the camp here where for like what I would call good marketing, um, yeah, uh, AI is not going to replace, uh, you know, that work anytime soon. Um, I do think, you know, it's, it's sometimes like an often used phrase of, oh, your job won't be replaced by AI, it'll be replaced by another marketer who's good at using AI. Yeah. Actually, uh, as, as much as that's okay, that, that's sort of a bit of a cheesy, cheeky way of saying it. But <laughs> I actually think it's very real, which is what we're talking about here is a set of capabilities, very broad, right? I mean, like these initial use cases around like content generation or whatnot are interesting, useful, a lot of ways that can go. But some of the things this is opening up with how it lets us like better harness data, how it's going to let us like do more sophisticated kinds of automation across marketing uh, is I actually think on the MarTech side of things, the ability for marketing ops leaders, uh, you know, MarTech professionals to be able to leverage generative AI, um, to sort of like up-level the capabilities uh, of what their stack can do, what their operations can do. To me, that's where all the really exciting stuff is. So I, I think it's more, of, um, I don't see the AI replacing all of that, but I see it becoming a big part of what that job entails. 
I think with marketing, like we're all constantly uh, tuned to this shift in the marketplace. Like there's always new tools. Obviously, we're talking to you. There's always going to be new uh, uh, things to learn. When we're thinking about advice for early stage marketers, folks who are coming into the industry today or relatively new into the industry, if they're looking at AI tools and thinking, I want to be ahead of the curve, you know, I want to be using this as a superpower, as I'm sure like the three of us on this call have felt like if you're using ChatGPT, sometimes you're like, holy smokes, this is like a superpower I didn't even know I had. And I wouldn't have gone to it to necessarily find it. So what would be like your advice for folks starting out today? What skill sets? What approaches, um, what attitudes would you have towards MarTech uh, in the future with AI? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a little bit different. I mean, one of the things about marketing that, uh, you know, has arguably always been the case, but I feel like over the past 10, 15 years, even more so, is there are a lot of different specializations you can do within marketing. I mean, don't get me wrong, marketing is a field. There's certainly a role for, you know, the jack of all trades, you know, the marketing generalist. But yeah, I mean, you know, people who become like really amazing, I mean, I've, you know, podcasts and like hosts uh, of that, not an easy job. I admire the work you do. It's, uh, you, you make it look easy, but I've tried it before. It's not easy, um, right? I mean, you know, people who are like really masters, you know, content, that's a special skill set. I think marketing operations and what people are doing and managing those capabilities, um, that's a very specialized uh, set of skills as well, too. And so I think if you're coming into marketing, you sort of have those two paths of like, okay, I can be a somewhat generalist marketing manager, and there's a lot of work uh, available for that. Um, but in some ways, that's that's probably the most challenging just because, you know, it's, it's such a span, you know, of things that you could do versus I feel you know, kind of specializing in something, you know, picking like, OK, well, actually, I want to start my career here on the content side or I want to start my career here on the marketing ops side. You'll get a bit of the generalist capability just because, yeah, marketing is a team sport and you'll be working with, you know, different teams on how you make that happen. But I almost feel like it gives you a little bit of focus early on of like, okay, there's a lot to learn. How do I like narrow the scope to like, all right, let me get good at this, you know, and then sort of grow from there. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I think the the specialization especially helps for marketers that are like jumping into startups and get to wear a lot of hats that the the, the team sport uh, that marketing is like you you kind of mentioned. I think for early stage marketers, there is this like misconception of fear. Uh, a lot of like doom folks are talking about AI and how it can replace jobs. But uh, on, on the show, we've tried to like flip that a little bit and, and definitely like try to make folks more excited about the time in the industry right now when they are entering the market. And you've written a lot about this idea of composability and how you're particularly excited about some of these things here. So composability, like the capability to pick different elements like software, data, workflow, and steps. And you've written a lot about being excited about the rapid adoption of APIs and data warehouses combined with the dawn of generative AI. And uh, in one of your posts that we kind of featured in, in, in our AI episode, you explained how the real wonder is linking GPT-4 with domain-specific data and tools. 
For example, combining ChatGPT with your marketing automation platform or your BI tool, we've seen HubSpot's ChatSpot being able to combine GPT and your HubSpot data, uh, like Dimash kind of walked through. We saw just today, I don't know if you saw the Shopify announcement, the new suite of tools that they've added uh, to help merchants. It's not just an AI chatbot. You can actually feed it commands and it can like change stuff on your store. It can create sales and end promos. So I'd love to just like pick your brain here and and, and have you share maybe some of your favorite practical examples of how businesses could utilize composability to their advantage. Yeah, is this is a super interesting space and it's evolving very quickly. So I would say up till this year, like you know, last year and you know, a few years be behind us here now. Uh, a lot of this was happening through the concept of like the no code. Uh, space, um, you know, and no code is a very broad label, you know, it isn't just necessarily building apps, you know, where we increasingly saw no code, uh, you know, use cases proliferating throughout marketing is like, oh, well, I've got to do this thing with a workflow, or then, you know, there's these like different steps across, you know, a few different apps where I want to like, you know, customize, you know, how something, uh, you know, gets triggered here and, you know, makes a decision here and then executes these things there. Um, there's analyzing data, you know, I mean, a big part of marketing is just, just a ton of data. How do we like, you know, uh, you know, uh, analyze it, understand, uh, you know, patterns are happening. And you start to see all these different like no code tools that let non-technical marketers do it, but it was still kind of in that category of, all right, you didn't have to be a software engineer. You didn't have to like get down to the level of like JavaScript or something like this. But you still had to be kind of almost like a power user type, you know, the sort of person who would be like, yeah, nerding out on like Excel, uh, you know, formulas or things like this, you know. So for the power users, you saw them starting to harness, uh, you know, these no code tools to be able to compose across different apps or, you know, different data sets. Um, but still a lot of work and it was still fairly limited in who could who could actually do that composition. I think the thing that we're seeing right now with, uh, you know, these AI interfaces is it's still early, but it really seems to be very rapidly in the direction of for a lot of these things, this will democratize that capability across pretty much everyone, you know, in marketing. I mean, the one I think that is the easiest and the most exciting is uh, short term is actually just the data analysis. You know, you you made that reference to the post about, okay, part of this is letting generative AI help you find the right data and resources across the vast sea of data that we have in our org, you know, but arguably as valuable, if not more valuable for a lot of marketers is going to be like, okay, I get to ask this thing questions the way I would ask almost like my own personal, you know, analyst, data scientist, you know, and unlike, you know, real analysts and data scientists who will eventually lose patience with you, you know, by the time you've got into like your 12th question in an hour of what you want to ask. Yeah, the AI is like, yeah, it's indefinable about that. So it will just, you know, yeah, fire away. And so I think that's going to be really exciting. I think the the level of like composition of being able to say, hey, can you take this from system A or when X happens, can you go ahead and execute Y and Z for me? 
that's still a little bit early. You know, we see some of that. You mentioned like the chat spot, uh, you know, execution uh, uh, engine inside HubSpot. Uh, Zapier has been doing a bunch of like cool use cases uh, in this space. But I think that's going to get us to a place where for a lot of this just sort of like workflow-ish stuff that marketers have in programs and campaigns and, you know, things that are constantly coming up. Yeah, it's, again, I, I almost, it's just like you, you, your own personal data assistant. It almost starts to become your own personal, like, you know, IT person. I'm like, hey, can you do X, Y, and Z for me? And the AI agent is like, sure, here you go. <laughs> just before the cast, Phil and I were talking a bit about composable marketing software. And then the idea we're riffing on might be a terrible idea is the idea of composable marketing teams, right? We talk about the specialization of the different teams. But we also see that these AI tools allow us as specialists to reach across a divide. Like I'm more of a web guy, right? Like I love web analytics, HTML, CSS, JavaScript, it's all me. But when you start talking about databases, I need to have a little bit of help understanding, hey, how do you want this data delivered to you? I'm curious, like with this kind of in mind, like the idea, uh, kind of coming back to a post I saw that you made on LinkedIn around um, the intersection between generative AI and MarTech's law. So like the naturally limited rates of adoption. How do you see like this, this unfolding? Like I obviously no one has a picture of exactly what's going to happen organizationally. I guess just to kind of prompt you a little bit, like in my head, I think this could open the door for more like fractional type teams where you have independent experts who report into a single kind of generalist who's able to manage multiple team members and have AI tools to bridge those gaps. Or do you see this as being, you know, marketing teams can operate leaner and meaner without necessarily seeing this impact on the bottom line? Like we're not, we're not firing people, but we're not necessarily hiring people. I don't know. I'm just curious of of your take on this. Yeah, it's a really great question. And boy, it like there's so many levels we could get into it. Um, <laughs> you know, there's that whole uh so in the in the broader AI debate, right? You've got to essentially to oversimplify two sides arguing, you know, one side mm-hmm. of like, hey, this is just going to eliminate, you know, a ton of jobs, a ton of uh, you know, work. Um, and in f- professions that have not been subject yet to this sort of, you know, technological substitution. Uh, but there's another side of the people arguing like, okay, well, actually, yeah, that's a lump of labor fallacy that it's this fixed set of things to be done. And so once, you know, AI does more of them or accelerates more of them, hmm, yeah, we just won't have as much to do that, you know, historically what ends up happening is as those things get, you know, automated or solved through machine issues, we end up actually like moving to the next level of like, okay, well, there's all these other things actually we weren't even able to do before. Now we have the time for, we have the capability for. Now, of course, the you know flip side back to that is, um, okay, over what time period? Uh, you know, because I think, you know, the big thing about AI that just gets us into this uncharted territory is it has the potential to change that playing field, that dynamic of what humans are doing at a rate that's just faster than anything we've had before. And so it's it's open to determination. I think my perspective is, and this goes back to why I don't see AI actually replacing marketing um, anytime soon here, is at the end of the day, the big thing for marketing is context. 
context and continuity, um, you know, that uh, particularly as you get to larger companies, you're talking a more complex, you know, market, a more complex marketing environment. Um, right now, so many of these AI things, like they, they don't, have this concept of like a broader context or a broader continuity across, you know, different tasks. Uh, you know, in fact, that's part of where the the arms race is right now is, you know, how do we expand, you know, the context? Yeah. And I guess was at the Anthropic, it's like, oh, well, now we can have a context window of reading an entire book, <laughs> you know, which is freaking awesome compared to like, oh, you know, just reading a few paragraphs. But when you think about marketing, and again, like the scope of everything that a marketing organization is involved with, it, it doesn't fit in a single book, you know? And I think humans are still like you know, incredibly well adapted uh, to being able to stitch together uh, you know, the larger narrative, the larger story of how this piece over here relates to these other pieces there. And so my theory would be, my hypothesis, uh, would be as AI accelerates the number of things we can be doing at the task level and the more sophistication and complexity <clears throat> that we can actually uh, execute, that we can manage at that level, the demand for how do we orchestrate that, you know, and create the context around those capabilities, um, I think is going to be enormous. Mm -hmm easy, uh, but I think marketers who basically lean into that, I think they're going to be incredibly valuable uh, for like this next window of <laughs> where we're headed because yeah, it's like who is the orchestrator you know, mm -hmm. of this uh, you know, Bart Bot Symphony uh, that we are creating. <laughs> One thing I'll add in there is, is marketers are also we're in control of our own destiny. We have control over our budgets, hopefully. So like no marketer is going to give up budget. Oh, I have an AI tool. I'll give up all my budget for it. Like, no, no, no. I'm going <laughs> to figure out how to get more money out of this. Sorry, Phil, I know you're next. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say I love the the point about like the the orchestration uh, around this, and like no one no one has a crystal ball, but like if if there's one constant in Martech, it's that technology changes and and evolution will always play a role in in like what we focus on and and how we shape our teams and and our strategies. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this related trend that we've been getting into on the podcast, um, this idea of warehouse native Martech and, and the role it kind of plays in in the future of composability right you mentioned that like generative ai on in, in combination with like the advent of uh, warehouse native or like everyone using data warehouses as kind of like their source of truth unlocking this this future potential so like warehouse native tools also known as kind of like connected apps or warehouse first basically martech software sitting on top of your data warehouse instead of creating yet another copy of your user database, right? Like you buy a CDP, your CDP is basically recreating a lot of the work that you just did and creating Redshift. And you buy HubSpot, like HubSpot still has another version of the database that maybe you also have in your CDP and you have in, in, in Redshift. So this idea of like companies building directly on top of the warehouse without needing to recreate another version of that user database creates like 
opportunities, but also uh, like challenges in, in some cases. But there are some companies kind of taking a stab at this. I think it is a big shift in, in, in the landscape right now. And, and I'm curious, like what your thoughts are. And do you think that like a lot of MarTech vendors are going to catch up to this idea? Or is it just kind of like a pipe dream because not everyone has clean data in their warehouse that they're never going to be able to just rely on that as the source of truth? Yeah, I think you've actually uh, beautifully connected uh, all the pros and cons there where what I feel is very clearly happening is making sure we can get all of our data from across our company into the warehouse. And then secondarily, that we have the ability to access data from the warehouse, you know, across any of our applications that would leverage it. And that's a little bit different than saying truly warehouse native, because it's almost a question of layers. It's like, oh, do we just have this one layer of it's the warehouse and then everything operationally like just works directly with the warehouse. There are folks who are experimenting with that. Uh, I think it's an interesting thing, but uh, I think the two challenges to that um, is one you mentioned, which is the fact that the warehouse can have all of the data is a benefit on one hand, but it is also a challenge on the other is, you know, data is not inherently rationalized. It does it does not become like naturally like, oh, the definition of what we're doing here matches the definition here. And we agree this is the standard source of reference for this mm. field. You know, no, I mean, getting a lot of the stuff that goes into these data lakes and these data warehouses, when you look at them collectively, you know, across the organization, it's incredibly messy. Now, having the ability to get access to it and start to do stuff with it, I think it's super powerful, but it's definitely not it's not rationalized, uh, you know? And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for like layers on top of this, uh, you know, that serve as that, okay, well, what's the context? What's the rationalization? Um, that whole field here around, you know, like uh, data catalogs. And in many ways, when you think about it, individual MarTech products are kind of like, they almost have this concept of the data catalog like built into them. They're providing that sort of structure, you know, and then, you know, how the mapping happens. The other dimension to it, which is also worth keeping in is just this issue of performance. I mean, for a long time, why this wasn't even conceivable is just the performance of uh, rewrite data in a warehouse. You didn't even have a prayer of like uh, using that in any sort of system that was gonna have live interaction. That's changing a bit. But I think there's still a lot of cases here, particularly once you start talking about like, you know, web interactions or app interactions or things like this, where literally millisecond performance differences matter uh, in the user experience. They matter, you know, in like, you know, how search engines rank you and do these sort of things uh, is I think having operational databases that are tuned to the particular engagement, uh, you know, that they're running. I think that architecture still holds here for a while. Um, so I don't know, I guess it would be, yeah, my, my sense is, yeah, universal data layer. Yes, I think most MarTech companies are gonna be pushed by market forces to make sure they can contribute data to that warehouse, if not also leverage data from it. But will that completely eliminate all other localized contextual specific databases? see that happening here in the next few years. 
Yeah. Uh, fascinating points there. I think that I'm living some of that right now. Like we were attempting to kind of do this at, at, at one of my startups and we spent a lot of effort, the marketing team working with the data team side by side. We debated composed versus package CDP and we decided to settle on compose because we're in the health tech space. So like HIPAA and controlling like the, the data processing is really big for us. Um, but then we have this whole debate of just like, okay, if we're relying on the warehouse as this source of truth to enable our segmentation or targeting and our marketing tools, right now I have to wait 24 hours before that data is updated the next day in my marketing tool. And like the cost from a compute perspective of getting that real time it isn't like one-to-one right now versus just like getting a package CDP or getting a HubSpot that has a local version of that database where I can do real-time based events. So there are limitations for sure, but uh, especially in like the B2C space where there isn't that whole like uh, complex ID resolution and like uh, accounts to different people in like one company challenge. Um, like message gears is like built a whole business around doing this warehouse native, uh, but they're in like the retail space and uh, yeah. they have like enterprise companies. And so like, it, it's completely different than, than the B2B space that a lot of people are, are working in. But yeah, it'll, it'll be fascinating to see like how many people kind of like try to adopt this whole idea that Snowflake is kickstarted with this connected application and how many are just holding back to this idea like no you know I, I need a localized version of that data to save costs on compute and so that it's much faster to action it yeah i think that'll be really interesting I, and again like there's the logical view of this and the systems here and like the logical view like you, you still see folks basically saying okay well even if we're running all of this on a warehouse actually for this app I want to partition the data in the warehouse that that app's using because I actually don't want it to be. I mean, this mm -hmm. idea of data flowing, you know, seamlessly across the organization sounds really beautiful. Um, but like in practice, and I remember this one CMO who actually argued against integrations between marketing automation and CRMs. And he's like, I do not want the salesperson over here making updates that then changes. I'm relying on business. I'm like, it just, it's, there are a lot of tricky issues in the coordination uh, across these systems of truth um, that, you know, this, this is evolving quickly that, you know, as, as, as we run into the problems with this, uh, there's so many creative and innovative people who are saying like, okay, well, here's how we can solve this. And, you know, let's do it. So I'm, I, I have a very open mind to how that uh, will, uh, uh, evolve over these next few years. Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. Um, just to switch gears a little bit, I, I read a recent post of yours around uh, the future of MarTech apps is in SMBs. And obviously, like uh, your background in HubSpot, you maybe come with a little bit of a, a bias around this as well. I th think I do as well. I grew up in, in a SaaS company. Actually, you're talking about the idea of uniting data company we worked for. Phil and I, Clipfolio was a dashboard company. I remember back in like 2015, we messaged you and got on the, the MarTech landscape. It was like an office celebration. <laughs> um, anyways, it was a random story I wanted to throw in there. I was been in my head. It's interesting though, because coming up in an SMB, like I was a sole marketer for the first like four and a half years of my career. There's no other marketer to learn from except for blogs and stuff like that. But boy, do you ever hack things like th this was in the peak of the growth hacking era when everybody's, you know, doing new things and it was super cool and fun to to do all this. 
But like in terms of nowadays in 2023, like you're making a case around, you know, uh, it's a hotbed of MarTech innovation. Do you want to talk a little bit about what's happening in SMBs and what's unique and what the trend is heading into the next couple of years? Yeah, so that um, uh, that piece was actually inspired by some research uh, shared for me uh, by Roger B. Harry Hall, I think, uh, from IDC, uh, just to you know give him credit. Um, but it certainly resonated with me. I think this is really interesting. One of the problems in the industry in general, and this probably isn't just Martech, but we really do seem to bifurcate where we talk about SMB, but when we say SMB, what usually comes to people's mind is like, oh, really small companies. Like we're talking 10 people, 20 people or less. It's big enterprises with thousands and thousands of people, you know, and like an enormous amount of where the world actually is, is between those two extremes. Um, It's companies that have, you know, whether it's dozens or hundreds, you know, of employees where, the use cases they have are much more complex, uh, you know, than the, you know, small company. Um, they have more resources. They actually do have the ability to like apply both human resource and capital, uh, you know, to do innovative things because they, they're trying to walk that line between, um, you know, having the stability and the strength of a larger company, but still retaining the agility and the innovation mm-hmm. of being a smaller company, they actually do, uh, you know, have a a bias towards um, uh, change, like the, the, the willingness to like embrace uh, new things and new emerging capabilities. They have less legacy like really big legacy, not just technology, but even legacy process and legacy politics that, you know, know, I mean, again, for larger companies, it can be just really challenging to change systems, bring new capabilities online for a whole series of reasons. And so, I don't know, the way I interpreted, you know, Roger's, um, yeah, research there was like, yeah, that's sort of the M in SMB, Mm-hmm. feels like it's a bit of a sweet spot where the alignment for the buyers uh, and these like continually innovating range of MarTech, you know, vendors, sellers um, feel like, yeah, you, you could expect to see actually a lot of really cool things happen in that segment much faster, perhaps than elsewhere. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Would you agree that like from uh, like adapting to technology perspective, marketers early in their career getting to play with like leading tech or like playing with the newest tools? Do you agree that like maybe they should consider that SMB earlier in their career before they go to enterprise route where um, they're using like more of the legacy tools where there is a lot more technical debt, like you kind of mentioned. Do you think that that's like a a potential avenue that um, you could recommend? Yeah. I mean, it's just, they're two different skill sets. Like the thing you, you know, it's funny, like the the thing that's the downside of one is the upside of the other, you know, like, so right, the downside, you know, in a larger company is, yeah, your ability to work with the latest tech or to like very quickly, like run experiments, you know, with new emerging technologies, it's going to be hard. On the other hand, what you will develop is a set of organizational skills of like, how do I navigate, you know, this organization? How do I like, you know, build the right sort of alliances? How do I cross? You know, I mean, like just being able to navigate, you know, with a large company's, you know, IT team and, you know, their broader 
tech strategy. I mean, this is a skill set, uh, and the people who become good at that, you know, are highly valued. Um, you know, versus like, yeah, the other side of this of okay, well, if I'm doing this with a smaller company. I'm not going to have as many challenges from like an organizational and political, you know, dimension of things. So that's great. That will let me do more innovative things with, you know, more innovative technologies faster. But the flip side is I'm probably not developing those muscles and those skills of, wow, if you were to throw me into a larger organization, um, all of a sudden I'd be like, wait, what? Well, we can't do this. Like, how do I get stuff done? <laughs> Figuring out how to get stuff done in a large company. I've uh, over the years realized like, wow, that really is a uh, talent that we we underestimate <laughs> its value. <laughs> yeah, totally fair point. Definitely echo with that. Like spending most of my career in startups, but then having a stint uh, at WordPress.com, a, a much bigger team, like that's 7,000 plus people and seeing like how, how different like processes are and like like a martech team of like i think we were like 30 plus people like just on the martech team supporting a growth team and a marketing team but i love that like you talked about the people angle of things and and how in an enterprise and in a bigger company um not only can you learn like how to navigate those different situations in the politics you also get to learn from industry veterans that have been doing it for many years and i love that you talked about the human side there because it transitions really well to to the next question i have uh one of my favorite blog posts that you wrote is your 15 reflections on MarTech and more from 15 years of writing on chiefmartech.com. Uh, you wrote that earlier this year and it's packed with insights that uh, I found super valuable. Um, but since we are on the Humans of MarTech podcast, the top takeaway that I wanted to highlight is remember that people are at the heart of marketing technology. How do you think our over-reliance on technology has affected the human aspect of marketing? And what are some of the ways that we can strike a healthier balance? Yeah, oh, boy, I'm so glad you brought this up. I mean, I we should have expected this being the Humans of MarTech <laughs> <laughs> podcast. Um, this to me is probably the single biggest chronic problem in MarTech. Um, and it is the, in my opinion, the the real reason behind some of the things we hear, like, I don't know, we can maybe get into the details of this, but like, you know, one of my pet peeves is people talking about like utilization. Oh, we've got all this MarTech and it isn't utilized. Um, and yeah, I, I really have a pet rock around like defining utilization and what, what's actually valuable there. But the truth is, like when you actually look at a lot of MarTech implementations, they are, I believe, underutilized relative to what they should be inside that company. And it almost always has nothing to do with the technology. It's entirely that, yes, we bought this technology, but then we made no investment, you know, in like teaching people how to use this. And then it's not enough just to teach people how to use a particular tool. It's like, how do you like encourage them and enable them to start to figure out like, how do I apply this tool to like actually trying new programs, new campaigns, new capabilities? And then in those things, you quickly run into like, oh, well, we had all these like processes and rules, and this is, you know, the sequence of how stuff has to go through the way old things were done. Oh, but to try and like now do this new stuff, it it, it it's a mismatch, you know, with a lot of the, you know, rest of like just sort of the organizational um, capital, if you will, you know, around that. 
Uh, and yeah, just collectively, like time and time again, we just underinvest um, in that dimension of things. And as a result, yeah, the technology does not get used anywhere near the degree to which it could be. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, I, I, I've been a MarTech vendor. I work at a MarTech company now, so I, <laughs> you know, don't want to slap you know, my uh, fellow MarTech <laughs> vendors around too much. But I would actually argue, I mean, MarTech vendors certainly haven't helped this issue because, you know, so much of, you know, the sales pitch in MarTech for so many things was like, oh, just get the tool. And the tool does this wonderful thing. And yeah. it's undersold the investment that needs to be made on the human and organizational side of things to actually really, truly capture, um, uh, you know, the capability, the benefits, you know, that you stand to gain from those tools. And so I think the industry is slowly getting better at this because, you know, <laughs> we might be slow learners, but we do learn like, hey, you know, 10 or 15, I'm starting to see a pattern here, you know, of how this works or doesn't work. Um, but even today, yeah, it feels like we're way under invested in the human and organizational development to support what state of the art MarTech can do. I, I think that's a really fascinating take. It's something that has been near and dear to my heart because I've been um, through the Google Analytics 4 migration, working with a lot of different clients and seeing, you know, the old, like you talked a little bit about the, the technology, like the idea of the owner has moved away. They set up the technology, they're an expert in the technology, and they've got all the data systems and the process, and then they get a better job somewhere else. And nobody knows how to use this system, and it's like nobody wants to touch it. And like most of the time, the system's been actually fairly well set up. It just hasn't been maintained. But I don't think a lot of organizations, and I see this a lot with some of you know colleagues in my network of saying, you're investing in the software, but you got to invest way more in the people. Do you think there's a case that you know marketing leaders need to to help marketing ops and marketing technologists who may be more less inclined to toot their own horn and and build those cases around budget? Or do you think it's just an evolution of the space and a better understanding of the value of having, you know, all these systems talking and having a single source of truth when it comes to marketing technology? Yeah, I mean, part of it's definitely the investment in marketing operations and marketing tech teams themselves. But I suspect actually where the CMO, the marketing executive can actually even be of greater value is, again, there's a certain amount of that organizational change that needs to happen inside the bubble of marketing ops. But usually the real barriers are outside that bubble. It's like, oh, well, this is the process, you know, we have to do with legal. This is the process we have to do with finance. Oh, this is what the campaign, the demand generation team, they have their process of how they do it here. Or if it's a product-led growth company, like, okay, here's how product insists that we work with them. You know, it's like all these other things that, you know, they got put in place when at some stage of the company's history, yep, we had a certain set of capabilities. This is how we wanted things to work, you know, and then those things calcify, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, but then as the technology or what's possible inside marketing, you know, and marketing tech evolves, there's not as much effort to, okay, well, let's update, you know, these other mm -hmm. processes and these rules and sort of the governance structures around them. Um, and that's very hard to change from marketing ops uh, because marketing ops, if it's lucky, has influence in marketing teams around it, uh, but very often has relatively little leverage or influence in teams outside of that you know, marketing sphere. 
and it's <laughs> more often than not like you start to run into these barriers you know the thing the constraints you know are coming outside of that immediate circle and so i think that's where having a you know a savvy cmo a savvy marketing executive who can understand like okay yes these are the constraints i can work with my other executive peers and these other functions to like okay mm -hmm. let's adapt this let's change this um that would be super helpful for a bunch of teams i know yeah well, and it leads into another question I wanted to ask you around like the skills to traverse the marketing technology stack. And I wanted to kind of put it towards like that future marketing leader. Now, I know there's like a lot of skills when we think about skills like, you know, learn technical skills, be data analyst. And, and I'm sure like all those skills are super valuable. I have a theory, a hypothesis from interviewing people on this cast and just my own feelings is that actually probably the number one curiosity for a lot of marketing technology and operations people is curiosity. I know when I've hired, when I see somebody who's deeply curious about something, there's always like a magical element of finding because in marketing technology, we chase rabbits down holes all the time. I think that's what we do. But Scott, like from your reading and from your writing and, and talks, I think that curiosity is definitely something that is top of mind for yourself. But I'm curious what your take is on what that skill set looks like for the top top CMOs of the next generation. And is it curiosity or something else like that? Yeah, I mean, curiosity helps a ton. Um, I think if there's two other skills that matter, one is so unchecked curiosity, like no curious, like killing curiosity is one way of like, you know, uh, taking a path to irrelevance. Um, but there is the other flip side of it of like, okay, too much curiosity and not enough focus actually also ends up like sapping your ability, you know, to deliver outcomes and deliver wins. And so I think, you know, a really good leader who's able to like balance those things, like, listen, we, we, we want to be open, you know, to the things that are going to change our world and have our impact, but we also need to like really get good at focusing and being able to say no uh, to things mm -hmm. that aren't priorities at this time. And then the sort of third magic component is if you can have those two things balanced, the third thing is oh, being really good at the like communications engagement. Um, I mean, very often other departments, other leaders throughout the organization don't appreciate uh, you know, what marketing is doing at a technical level. They don't appreciate, you know, marketing operations. And wow, it's easy to somehow like, you know, point that as a failing of all those other folks. No, really, it's a failing then of marketing and marketing leadership who had not been able to sufficiently communicate, you know, like the value of the story, like, what are we trying to do? Why? You know, how does it work? Um, and that's, that's not an easy skill that's not uh, again I, we started out talking about things and I, I said how much i admire like yeah i mean you know how natural you you both are here you know with a podcast um it's often very easy again for just people when when things are working really well it's easy for people to look at it and say oh well that's just so natural that's got to be easy that just happens <laughs> you know but for most things no the people who are really good at this it's not just a raw talent it's something that they really focused on developing they really take it seriously as one of the things they want to do well. Uh, and so I think, ironically, right? Marketing's in the communication business, being more effective at communicating yeah. internally across these other teams and stakeholders. Um, I think get good at that skill, mix that with curiosity, the ability to then put structured focus and discipline. Oh, you'd be unstoppable.
I yeah, I love it. I, I really like the internal communications angle uh, in small teams and and big teams. Like it's it's a super important part of of marketing, and it lends really well to like one of your tweets. Like you you tweeted about the evolution of marketing ops and how in the past it was more of this like jobs to be done to support just marketing, reporting, tool, data hygiene type of stuff, and. In the future, ops is a lot more of this operating system that's underpinning all of marketing and touching a bunch of other departments. So that's where like this internal comms piece of it, not just being someone who's really good at like reports and and building uh, dashboards, someone who's able to underpin marketing and, and all those other teams and have that really good communication. Not easy, but boy, people who can uh, master that sort of capability... Uh, Again, like you already know, the supply and demand ratio in marketing ops and marketing tech today is already, uh, it is definitely a seller's market. <laughs> but if you're good at marketing, if you have experience in marketing ops and marketing tech, you, you have a very good set of career options at the moment. But boy, taking that to even the next level of like, okay, there's what marketing ops has been for approximately these past 10 years. But what it seems poised to be able to become in this next 10-year period, those folks who become the leaders who get ahead of that curve are the pioneers for it. Uh, and you know, back to where we were talking about all the stuff that's happening, you know, at the you know, data layer and with AI. I mean, the technology is truly going to be there for this, uh, but it's who's going to be the 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 leaders, you know, who help orchestrate and implement that capability. I mean, I, I I I feel like I've said this many many times over the years, and so I don't know. Maybe I've lost my credibility on it, but I I genuinely feel everything. I'm like, this is such an amazing time to like be in marketing. Like you know, the opportunity you have to like write the playbook of the future. Um, I don't know. I just it's it feels like a real gift. Yeah, I love it. I love that we've. Spent actually more time on the podcast talking about uh, humans with you today than than we did about the technology side of things. And we actually asked this question uh, at the end of our interview with with all of our guests. So, uh, Scott, you've got a lot of stuff going on in your life. You're a VP, an author, a public speaker, a MarTech Awards judge, a podcaster, an editor, a startup advisor. You're also a father and a dad joke enthusiast. Um <laughs> One question we ask everyone, like I said, like how do you find balance uh, and remain happy and successful in your career, and um, how do you balance all the things that you have going on? Yeah, um, so I'm in many ways like one of the dullest people on the planet, uh, is, right? Because <laughs> you know, I mean, after a full day of working at a martech company, uh, there's nothing I love to do better than to you know <laughs> lean back and like, oh, let's dig into some more martech. Um, <laughs> so for me, yeah, the fact that you know my passion hobby, if you will, is the same sort of stuff I do for my career. Um, it happens to work for me uh, because I just love this stuff, but it is very, um, it's very unidimensional, um, you know? And so even on my side though, being unidimensional, there's still 24 hours in the day. Uh, I haven't come up with some sort of like, you know, magical time portal here. And so, well, yeah, I do a lot of things. Boy, there's a ton more I I don't do. I just say no to that. You know, it's a real shame. There's just so many great stuff to do out there. But you know, it was going back to that thing about the balancing of curiosity and 
uh, you know, kind of focused discipline is, yeah, you just have to be comfortable, like saying no to a bunch of other things so that you can say yes uh, to the subset that you're really most passionate about. I love it. Great insight, Scott. That's uh, definitely something folks should be uh, doing more of, saying no and, and focusing on the stuff that gives them energy. Clearly, the MarTech stuff in, 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 in this world is is definitely part of uh, the, the joy that you have and, and the excitement that, that you're bringing here. So I'm, I'm jazzed up right now. I feel like uh, I want to go work on uh, some MarTech projects the more. I really appreciate your, your time and, and chatting with us, Scott. Yeah, no, thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, thank you for uh, the show that you're running here. It's just great to help bring more of this to the world.